Welcome to the Expository Word Podcast, where you can hear classic recorded messages from Kimber Kaufman. Throughout these messages, Kimber faithfully follows the text to deliver God's message and to practically apply it to life. Now look at this. Each one, there's the individual, should use whatever gift he has received to what? Others, to serve others. We trust you will enjoy listening to these classic recordings, and in just a moment we will join our teacher with the message. We believe that some of our listeners may have additional recorded messages from Kimber at home. If you have a cassette and would consider sharing the recording with our audience, please contact us through our email at theexpositoryword at gmail.com. Today, Kimber continues teaching through the Word, and our hope is that you will be challenged and encouraged by listening in. Let's turn now to Kimber. Follow along in Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 7, as we read Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 16. Now, we're only going to study verse 7 today and tonight, but it'll get you ready for what's headed, coming. Ephesians 4, verse 7, follow along as I read. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Now again, would you look to me at just the verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Let us pray. Our Father, as we now look into your word, speak to us. And teach us about this most wonderful truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have any of you ever heard about Mr. Yates from Texas? Mr. Yates from Texas, have you ever heard about him? It's a true story. It is. He could hardly pay his mortgage. He was subsidized by the government. Seismographers came along one day and said, hey, we think there might be oil on your property. And guess what they found? hundreds of thousands of gallons of oil. In fact, up to that time, it was the largest oil find in Texas history. All those years of getting subsidized by the government, all those years of hardly being able to pay your mortgage, and the whole time he was a multi, multi, multi-millionaire, but he didn't know it, nor did anyone else. You know that many Christians are just like Mr. Yates? Do you know that many Christians don't know how rich they are because of the grace of Christ Jesus? Did you know this? 
that many Christians don't know how important they are to the church of Jesus Christ because of the grace of Christ Jesus? Did you know that? In fact, listen to this passage. Concerning spiritual gifts, the Apostle Paul writes in chapter 12, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians, and he says this. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I would not have you be ignorant. And the way you could actually translate that is this. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I would not have you be agnostics. I would not have you not knowing about the spiritual gifts. You know there's a little statement in the world that goes like this, what you don't know won't hurt you. Ah, go like this, thumbs down on that statement when it comes to spiritual gifts. Because we are not to be ignorant of them. We are to know what they are. In fact, there are two very important reasons as to why you need to know what your spiritual gift is. The first one is for the church's sake. If you go down after very, some very difficult verses coming up, verses 8, 9, and 10, if you just skip over those, um, and we'll cover them another time, and you get to verse 11, you'll see this idea of gifts as it now is expressed. Look at verse 11 of Ephesians 4. It says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. The very giving of the office gifts mentioned here are for the whole body. They're for the whole church. If you would turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, you don't need to turn there because I'm just going to read it to you, but it says there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7 this, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The same thing is mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 4. And one of the bottom line principles to know is this, your spiritual gift is important to the entire church. And you know also, of course, it's going to be important for your own understanding. So you know where to go, you know what to do with your life, you know what to do with your ministry. You need to know what your spiritual gift is. So many people, I believe, are frustrated for many years of their life because they're trying to do something that they are not gifted to do. And we'd be very important and it'd be very prudent for us to find out. Because you don't want to spend your whole life doing what you're not gifted to do. I know of some churches, and they make it a mandate. Everybody goes on visitation. Everybody. If you're even a slightly, you've got to go on visitation. Well, maybe some people really aren't very good at that, and they're going to do more harm to the church than good. Have you ever had that happen? You see, that could happen again and again. If you're really dedicated, but maybe you aren't gifted. Now, this text, and I was joking with the first church service, the first service we had, and that is, I know this outline may not seem very great to you, but I know that it's right. Because the outline comes right from the text. Look what the outline is. Ephesians 4, 7, we can outline like this. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's my outline for today. Don't criticize it. <laughs> it's right there in the text. All right? But the first thing I want you to see then is this word but. Because when you study the scriptures, you need to know why it's there. And as we put on here, you must see the place of spiritual gifts in the light of the whole letter to the Ephesians. Now what I want you to see is, in the book of Ephesians, it's talking about the salvation that we have between God and man by grace. And it talks then also that everyone who is in Christ, red and yellow, black and white, regardless of economic level, regardless of education level, regardless of background, regardless of color of skin, regardless of everything, we are in Christ Jesus and we're all brothers and sisters, we're one, we're all in the body of Christ. And there has been this gigantic emphasis, in fact, go back to verse 4 and look what it says. It says, verse 3 actually, <coughs> of chapter three, 4, it says this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Why? There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, 
one God and Father over all. Now get this. Who is over all and through all and in all. You get this one, 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 all, this emphasis on unity, and then suddenly there's a striking contrast. Verse 7 says this, now to each but to each of us. But, and the way the word but there could be translated is this, in spite of verses 4 through 6, or because of verses 4 through 6, don't let you get this idea of unity mixed up with uniformity. Don't think that because we've all become one, that you don't have individual personalities, individual gifts, individual tasks that each one of us is supposed to do. So there it is, tying this in. In fact, you'll see how this, the individual gifts and unity in the church just mesh together here in a minute. I, I'm telling you, this is exciting to think about. Now look at the next point. To each one of us. Do you remember that if we said last week this, if you take differences like red skin, black skin, white skin, yellow skin, for instance, the Ku Klux Klan rally, did you see the front page of the Star this morning? I'm telling you, that's nothing but sin. That's nothing but wretched, rotten sin. And what that is, is people who are saying, the white race, we're better off. We're excluding other people. Do you know the Bible says that our differences should be like a stack of newspapers? They're there, there are differences. But compared to the similarities that we have in Christ, it is like the Empire State Building compared to it. So here you've got a stack of, well, we've got different color skin. But then you've got the Empire State Building. That's what we have in Christ. We've been blessed. We've been predestined. We've been adopted. We've been loved. Before the foundation of the world, we have the righteousness of Christ. There is, in heaven, there isn't going to be the white section, the red section, the black section. It's going to be one. And we're going to be every people from every tribe, kindred, tongue, and, and, and language praising God together. And those differences are not anywhere close to what we have in Christ Jesus. So, each one of us, though, but still, still, now back to the individual. Though we have all of this unity, there is some differences. And please get this. I love this statement. Now listen. In his wisdom, to make each dependent on others, God has ordained not uniformity, but an endless variety of gifts from the members of the body. Every Christian, please make sure you understand this. Every Christian is different, and yet every Christian is the same. Every Christian is different in that you've been gifted. You're like a snowflake, and you're like a a thumb or a fingerprint. But every Christian is the same in that we're supposed to be becoming more like Christ. Every Christian is supposed to become more holy. Every Christian is supposed to to be committed to the body. But not every Christian is to be an exact replica of each other. Praise God, aren't you glad? What would happen if we would have come here this morning and all of you had the same gift that I had and there was a wrestling match to get into the pulpit? Who's going to preach? Oh, I'm going to. You see, that would have been a terrible thing. You see, don't view other Christians as if we've been mass-produced in some celestial factory. It's not we're just all marching out, yes, we're the same. And we're all supposed to look exactly the same. That is not Christianity. Christianity is beautiful. People think of the differences as bad. When it's not to be bad, it's to be beautiful. Church unity is not boringly monotonous, but rather exciting in diversity. Not mainly because of different cultures, temperaments, and personalities, but mainly because of different spiritual gifts that Christ has measured out and given to the body of Christ. In fact... The individual spiritual gift ties into the unity in much and in every way for it is to be used for the common good. Now, I mentioned this already, but I want to show you a couple of scriptures, which I'm telling you, they, 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 they are so exciting to consider. Here's a passage I've already read, but look what it says. Now, to each one, you see the individual? To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the what? Common good. For the good of all. For the good of the body. There is no such thing about you having a spiritual gift just for yourself. The whole idea is that you would have a gift that is going to be good, blessed for everyone. 
Look at this. In fact, one of my prayers today is, Father, I wish you could use the, let me use the gift that you've given me, a pastor, teacher, to inspire others to want to go and find out what their gifts are so they can start using them properly. And look at this. This passage just makes you jump for joy. Look what it says. Each one, there's the individual, should use whatever gift he has received to what? Others, to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Look at this quote by John Calvin. What insight. Look what he says. No member of the body of Christ is endowed with such perfection as to be able, without the assistance of others, to supply his own necessities. I want you to read that with me. Let's go. Let's read it together. No member of the body of Christ is endowed with such perfection as to be able, without the assistance of others, to supply his own necessities. Do you understand, friends, this Lone Ranger Christianity? I'm going to go off there and do it by myself. I don't need to be vitally connected to the church. That kind of thing is absolutely anti-biblical. It's as wrong as it can be. In fact, we are to be strongly committed to this. Now, I, I tell you something, friends. No matter what you think of yourself, you should rejoice that Christ has graced you. He has gifted you. He has given you a spiritual gift to be able to fit into the body. You're a part of the body that he determined you should be, and you should rejoice that he has placed you where he saw best for you and for the church. Isn't that exciting to think about that? I'll tell you, friends, I was thinking as a way of illustration about one of my back teeth, okay? And one of my back teeth could say things like this. They never even get to see me when you preach. That's what they could say. And they could say, I don't want to be back here. It's dark. And I don't like it. I don't even get to see what's coming in. But you know what, friends? You ever see what happens to me when I've had a toothache? I've, been, I've had toothaches where I'm laying down going, oh, and my whole body is reacting. Oh, there's, a, there's the, the chorus of groanings. The whole body uniting as one, talking about this one tooth. Oh. You see, the tooth's important when it's not working right. I'll tell you something else. We go out to eat this afternoon. It's going to take a long time to eat. Those teeth aren't correct. There's not something right there. I mean, they've got to be used. You see, the, that tooth has a purpose. What's the purpose? Chomp down the food, crunch it all up, let me swallow it so the other parts, the esophagus, the stomach, everything else can do the work. And I, so it gives me some strength so my tongue can waggle and talk. You see? That's all the, the idea. And we need to understand that in regards to the body of Christ. You have been graced by Christ Jesus. You, the individual, has been graced in the, in the universal body of Christ and in the local body of Christ to have a gift to strengthen the whole body. Well, I'll tell you, if that isn't put a step in your walk and make you want to live, I don't know what will. But friends, listen to this. Everyone pay attention to this. Do you know that it's, a pos- it's, it's possible to neglect your gift? 1 Timothy 4.14 says, Do not neglect your gift. You know what the word neglect means there? To make light of it, to regard it lightly, or to not pay attention to it. Which means this, you've been gifted by God to do something, you don't pay attention to it, you neglect it. You say, ah, someone else will do it. You say, ah, it's not that important. Just think if my back teeth started saying that. They're not important. Suddenly, the whole body goes into a crisis. You know something else the scripture says? I love this. You're to stir up your gift. You have a responsibility to make the most of your, if 2 Timothy 1.6 says, stir up the gift of God that is within you. You know what that is? That is to kindle the flames, to fan the flames. You ever been to a campfire and they're about to go out and what do you do? You throw the straw in and then you throw the little bitter, the little bigger pieces of wood and you try to build it. And you blow on it and you fan it a little bit and you get the thing to go again, right? I'm never good at it. I probably don't know exactly how to fan the flames on those fires. But I'll tell you something, that's what you do. Here's what's happened. Don't let your gift die down. You keep the flame raging. You keep it going in your life. Don't give up. 
Keep working at it. In fact, listen, in regards to that same gift, 1 Timothy 4.14 says this, Take great pains in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them that you're profiting the spiritual gift that you have, the, the, the development of it may be seen by all. There ought to be the demonstration of increasing use of the gift in your life. So friends, I'll tell you, think about this now. You have been given this grace, and it says... To each one of us, this grace has been given. You see, friends, the grace that the Bible talks about in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 is saving grace. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were enslaved to your passions. You were on your way to hell. But God, in His rich mercy, and then it goes on and says, for by grace you have been saved. What's that about? The grace of God saves the person out of their sins. But... Please get this. This grace has been given. This is not saving grace here. It is in in chapter 2. But what is given here is this. Saving grace, but also, please get this, serving grace. And what is talked about here, saving grace is the first three chapters of Ephesians, and now we've got to living out the Christian life, and that is serving grace. You have been charismata. You have been charis. It's the same word charis. comes from grace. Charismata. Given gifts. You've been given gifts to be able to accomplish the scriptures and, and, and to be able to serve other people. Some, from time to time, people say to me, Kim, your sermon, I got so much out of it, you don't know how it inspired my way. You don't know how it helped me change the situation that I was in. You don't, and I'll tell you something, I'm always glad to hear that. But please, do you understand something? If God has given me the gift of pastor-teacher, do you understand something? Thank me, thank me carefully, and thank whoever has a gift that is used to help your life carefully. But more than that, thank God. Because it's his grace, don't you see? It's his grace that was given to the church to allow people to be able to do whatever it is that they do. And this serving grace comes right from God. Have you ever been assisted? Have you ever been helped in a difficult time? Well, you thank the person, don't you? I hope you do. But more than that, thank God. Because, friends, I'm telling you, I want you to see something that is marvelous. Look at this. It says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Everyone, please look at this. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. That is staggering. The grace of God is given through you as you use it. As you use your individual gift, it's given out to people to bring encouragement and help and hope to other people. Oh, I tell you. (laughs) I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me. That that, that is something to be excited about. This grace has been given to each one of us, and please look at this, as Christ apportioned it. Now, everybody, this is is a very interesting word. It's used of a measuring instrument. Some of your translations say measured it. It's a measuring instrument. It's it's used in in, in Matthew 7, 2. It says this, the way you judge others is the way, the same measure that God's going to use to judge you. And I'm going to tell you something. You critical people, that like to find fault with everybody, and your judgment standard is the Atlantic Ocean, when it comes time for you to be judged by God, he's going to pull out the Atlantic Ocean, and that's going to be your judgment. Those of you that were very gracious and your judgment matter was very kind, he's going to use that. Maybe I guess maybe that illustration should be the opposite, maybe. I'm not sure. If you understand what I'm saying, then, then uh, thank the Lord, because I got mixed up on that one. Thank <laughs> okay. But anyway, look at this. 
you, you, God's grace, as Christ apportioned it, he measures it out. It's used in Revelation 21, 17. He measured the wall, and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurement. It means to measure. Now, friends, I don't know how to bake at all. I'm terrible. I mess things up. But my wife's a good cook, and some of you are. And, you know, to make a cake the right way, what do you have to do? You have to put the right ingredients in, right? And you have to measure it, and you don't just throw it around and slop it all around. You put it in carefully the way it's supposed to. Listen, friends, listen to this now. Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. Do you know what he said? He would save people from the darkness to light, and then those people that he has saved, he will give grace to them. He will, he will, get, he will measure out to you, the individual, just exactly what you need, what's best for you and for the church to serve. Boy, that's, that is something to think about. That is something to be excited about. He doesn't dump it out. He measures it out upon your life. It's not like you're going through the assembly line and, and I'll, quick, quick, we're out of flour. The next, oh, the Christ, that Christian got by without any. It doesn't happen. Each person is taken. Think about this. He knows the number of hair on your head. The Bible says he knows when you lay down and when you get up. The Bible says he knows thoughts before you think of them, words before you speak them. And it's this Christ that knows you and loves you that he takes and gives you a gift just for what's best for the church. I'm telling you, that is an amen. That is something to be, to be, to be thankful for. That is something to be happy about. You see, he gives you. William Hendrickson, the commentary writer, said, It seems that in the early church, as also today, there was a twofold danger. A, that those who had received very special endowments might overestimate their importance and give themselves credit for them and fail to use them for the benefit of the entire church. And B, that those who had not been so richly endowed might lose courage, thinking they were, not, they were of no benefit to the church. Now listen. The real comfort and glorious lesson for everyone must be this. I have received my gift, be it great or small, from Christ himself. I must use it, therefore, as he requires. Now, listen, the giver will not fail me when I use my gift for the benefit of all. The giver will not fail me when I use my gift for the benefit of all. Just in case, and by the way, we're going to be... Um, this, this Sunday night and continuing on with the exception of one Sunday in between we're doing a study on spiritual gifts and this Sunday night is how to discover what your spiritual gift is and I would tell as I, as I mentioned to the, to, the, to the first congregation um, one of my gifts is guilt giving and, and, and I will sh- show you how I can use that right now if you don't come back tonight to try to learn what your spiritual gift is my goodness that's all I can say All right. now look at this in the midst of this idea of spiritual gifts, look what it says. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Do you know what that's written to? That's written in an area of spiritual gifts. It's written to people that are extremely gifted. And it says to people that are extremely gifted, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself soberly with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God's given you. That's talking about the gift he's given you. You realize you only are what you are by God's grace. And so you don't think of yourself, hey, look at me, would you? Doing pretty good. Don't think that way. Now, because of this, then I ask you this. Listen. Because Christ has given gifts and measured them out to each one, including you, because of that, Therefore, what should happen? Let me lay down some principles for you. Number one, 
Don't expect, don't expect every Christian to be equally successful in all areas of Christian service. Do you know the only person that had all the gifts? Jesus Christ was his name. Wouldn't it have been something to have him in the church? That's what we should be saying today because we need to have him here. But do you understand this? Listen, the Bible says in John 3, 34, he, he was given the Spirit without measure. Every spiritual gift Jesus Christ had, man, that must have been something. But look at this. All Christians are to be general practitioners. You get that? In other words, please let me say something here. It doesn't mean that you're not involved in some areas and say, well, I'm gifted in this area and that's not my responsibility. For instance, for instance, in prayer, in evangelism, in giving, in comforting, in loving, we all should be involved in it. But let me just give you a little illustration. In evangelism, how many times have you tried leading people to Christ and they end up going into some cult? Or you've tried and tried and tried and it seems like they get more confused as a result of you trying to tell them. It doesn't mean you're wrong for trying. But there are other people that are gifted in evangelism. And there are certain people, I've been with a guy that is gifted in evangelism and he starts witnessing somebody and I'm going, oh no, no, not that. Don't, oh, I'm embarrassed. And the person ends up wanting to receive Christ. You see. It was Charles Spurgeon. His sermons were printed in all the newspapers, and then the people would take, as they do newspapers today, and wrap up their products. And a woman was unwrapping some butter that she had bought at the store and read one of his sermons in the paper, and guy gave her life to Christ. Another time, he walks into the agricultural hall to test the acoustics, and he says, uh, he didn't think anyone was in there, and he goes, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And he said that two or three times, and one of the workers up in the rafters heard it and got saved. And I sit around and think of some of the problems I've had trying to lead people to Christ. The guy was so gifted, but that doesn't mean that I don't try to evangelize. It doesn't mean that I don't try to keep loving people. And, and like some people say, I just don't have the gift of love. No, you're commanded to love. So you need to be a general practitioner, you see? But, look here. All Christians need to be specialists. And that is, you need to find out where you are gifted, whether you have one or more, and you need to use those gifts as best way you possibly can. Because you, this is going to help us, so there's not going to be jealousy, there's not going to be um, uh, problems with people saying, I want to do this or I want to do that, when they're not gifted to do that. In fact, the second principle I want you to realize is this. Realize that not everybody who has a gift will have the same amount of that gift as others who have the gift. Now, does that sound a little confusing? Let's read it again. I thought it might, okay? Look what it says. Realize that not everybody who has a gift, and everybody does have a gift, but not everybody who has a gift will have the same amount of that gift as others who have the same gift. In other words, think with me a second. Here's two men. They both are called by God to pastor. They both go to the same seminary. They both get the same grades. They both have the same prayer life. One goes out, and as the world judges it, over the next 10 or 20 years, he is extremely successful. His church grows, big things happen, he's publishing books, all these things happen. Another guy who'd had the same grades, went to the same seminary, his isn't. Now, is it that one wasn't successful and one, one wasn't called and one wasn't? No, they could both be called, but some could be called with one talent, some with five talents, some with ten talents. And it's not to be a matter of jealousy, it's just to use what we have for his glory. Now, let me tell you what could happen. You see, not only does Christ give the gifts, but he also gives the amount of the gifts. Now, but one thing I want you to know is this, this could also reverse itself. And you know how? The person that is eminently gifted, a 10, we'll say, 
He becomes lazy. He neglects his gift. He doesn't stir up the gift of God that is in him. He lets it die down. He doesn't keep taking great pains in this matter to develop it. And you know what? The other guy, who maybe is a five, is working diligently to develop that gift. And you may see a flip-flop in that success ratio, although it all is going to come down to the bema. But it's still, it's using it to describe it the best way we can understand it, that's, that, that would be something to know and to consider. And it may help answer some questions about certain ministries that you've been around. Look here. The third thing, then, I want you to realize is this. This should help us understand each other and make us less critical of each other. See, people want, they look at differences as bad when they shouldn't be bad. There is something to receive from everyone. You know, this has impacted my life. Every person I talk to that is in Christ, every person I know that, that has Christ as their Savior, you know what? They have got something to offer the church. There's something I can learn from them. They're a part of the body that helps the whole function. Isn't that exciting to think about? Paul Bain, the Puritan, said this. And, 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 and I'll try to explain this. It's a little bit difficult. I'll try to explain it. Puritans write a little difficult sometimes. He said this. The consideration of the diversity of gifts does reprove those who will take mislike at this kind of gift or at that kind of gift because it is not as they would have it. If one speaks calmly and stilly, though he lay down the truth soundly, if he apply it not forcibly, they say he is a nobody. In other words, he teaches like this. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes not in him should, you know, that verse. And yet the other guy comes along and says, God so loved the world. And they say, one guy must not have it. You see, because there's a difference there. All right? Now, uh, he's nobody. As if everyone should be an Elijah or a son of thunder. If others on the same plain ground, not quite as sophisticated or dignified, belabor the conscience. Tush, they say. I like that. Tush, they say. He is not for me. He does not go into the depth of the text. They say that they could themselves at the first sight observe as much. As if every ship that did sail did draw a like depth of water, yet all sorts of ships carry their passengers safe to their haven. So, um, in pastors and Christian workers, everyone does not have a like insight into doctrine, yet all can be instruments of God for your salvation. You see, here's the point Bain's making. Not all will have the same gift, not all will have the same amount of the same gift, so don't think all will demonstrate the gift in the same way. But don't let that make you think you can't learn from someone. There is, for instance, John MacArthur says, now listen, there is, for instance, uh, there is not, for instance, excuse me, a single kind of prophetic gift or teaching gift or serving gift. A hundred believers with the gift of teaching would not all have the same degrees or areas of teaching ability or emphasis. One may excel in public teaching or in the classroom or in the church. Others will teach, teaching gift will be for instructing children. Others for teaching one-on-one and so on. Each believer is given the measure of grace and faith to operate his gift according to God's plan. Add individual personality, background, education, influences in life, and needs in the area of service, and it becomes obvious that each believer is unique. Now, um, it's a beautiful colors of giftedness. The the artist is painting the picture. He's Jesus Christ, and it's a beautiful paint, uh, a beautiful thing that he does. Fourthly, realize that Christians are not assembly line productions. We've already talked about this, so we won't spend long there, but don't look at differences as bad, but beautiful. Not every unit is to be like every other unit. And then look at this. Realize that not to use your gift is an affront to Christ's wisdom, a rebuff to his love, 
and a loss to the church. I want us to read this together. Ready? Let's go. Realize that not to use your gift is an affront to Christ's wisdom, a rebuff to his love and a grace, and a loss to the church. We, we better use the gifts that he has given us. It is Christ that measured these out. It is Christ that carefully gave you just exactly what you need, both for salvation, he, he lavished his grace upon us, the Bible says, but for you as an individual to serve in the body of Christ, he has given you a gift that you need and that, you, that the body needs. And you know what? We ought to praise Jesus Christ who apportioned these out for us, should we not? This little passage I'm about to read you, it's the last words of Charles Spurgeon. Listen to what he said. He didn't know these were going to be his last words, but they were, as far as preaching. He says this, If you wear the livery of Christ, you will find him so meek and lowly of heart that you will find rest unto your souls. He is the most magnanimous of captains. There never was his like among the choicest of princes. He is always to be found in the thickest part of battle. When the wind blows cold, he always takes the bleak side of the hill. The heaviest end of the cross lies ever on his shoulders. If he bids us carry a burden, he carries it also. If there is anything that is gracious, generous, kind, and tender, yea, lavish, and superabundant in love, you always find it in him. His service is life, peace, and joy. Oh, that you would enter at once. God help you to enlist under the banner of Jesus Christ. It is Christ that has loved you. It is Christ that has graced you. It is Christ that has given you just exactly what you need. He sovereignly gives these things to you. They are essential to his plan, so use your gift. And since they are from the Lord, no gift is to be exalted or neglected. Now, I want to close then by just, just relax. Just you know, one of those times, if you're taking notes or anything, just sit back and relax because you can't take notes on this. And just sit down and listen to this story. I can't remember the guy who wrote this, but I'm telling you, it is a beautiful illustration to talk about what we've been saying today. Now listen. It's called the parable of the talents. It came to pass that a master had 300 servants. And the master who was about to embark upon a long journey called his servants together and entrusted talents to each one of them. To some he gave one talent, to others two, to others three or more. But each servant, short or tall, clever or dull, trained or untrained, received at least one talent. Some received the talent of singing, some of dancing, some of painting pictures of waterfalls in the moonlight. Others were talented in public speaking, baking cookies, pushing children up and down on the playground swings, or visiting the sick. Still others received talents enabling them to collect money, vacuum the floor, or teach. I'm going on a long journey, the master said when he had finished handing out talents. As my servants work wisely with the talents I have given you. With that he left. Very well, said one of the servants, a fellow who had the talent of organization. Let us band together in our master's service, using these talents to do the work he has left us. He pointed at the servant who had the talent of speaking the master's words. You will remind us of what the master has said. Those of you who have musical talents will sing to us of the master's work, of the master and his work. So it went, and before long, each servant was given something to do according to his or her talent. Some cared for servants who were old or ill. Some brought water to those who toiled in the master's orchards. Some invited strangers into their homes and made them feel welcome. And some taught others about the master and his goodness. Soon a group of servants who could use hammers and saws built a meeting house for the benefit of all, and those who were talented in making furniture and sewing curtains furnished it. People came from miles around to see the meeting house to hear of the master and to honor him. For a while, 
the master's work flourished. But one day a change occurred. A servant who was talented in mending shoes decided his task wasn't important enough. He says, I want to do something important. He complained. Like singing or speaking the master's words in the meeting house, mending shoes is for nobodies. But mending shoes is important, another servant said. Wouldn't it be harder to do the master's work in bare feet? That's not my problem, the discontented worker replied. I want a more important place. Those singers and speakers we've got now aren't so talented anyway. (laughs) The servant whose talent was mending shoes promptly stopped exercising his talent. Before long, the other servant's shoes began to leak, and they became discontented too. I'm tired of working with wet feet, said one. Let's hire a shoemaker. I want a more important job too, chimed in another. Placing long-distance phone calls to the master isn't very exciting. Yea, agreed still another. I'm tired of inviting strangers into my home. Let someone else do it. Soon the length and breadth of the master's property was in an uproar. Some servants refused to exercise their talents, while others demanded a more exalted place. Some accused others of laziness or being puffed up or requiring too much work. Still others said that certain talents should not be exercised, that perhaps the master had not meant to give them at all. When the master's business had finally ground to a halt, the servant who had the talent of organization called an emergency gathering in the meeting house. All right, he cried out over the noise. The master's plan for us to carry out his work according to the talents he gave us is obviously not going to work. Therefore, we will make the following changes. One, the speakers of the master's words will also visit the sick, teach outsiders about the master, sing, and talk to strangers and perform organizational duties. But their most important task will be to try to convince the rest of us to work too. Two, should a servant decide to work, his job will be determined by what he feels like doing and how convincing the speaker of the master's words has been. Servants are welcome to keep their talents, but they do not feel obligated to exercise them. The servant whose talent was organization left the platform surrounded by the cheers of the congregated servants. The few speakers of the master's words reluctantly took on their new responsibilities and the rest of the people went home. The new plan was immensely popular, but before long, the trees in the orchard stopped bearing quite so much fruit. Weeds grew around the meeting house and attendance at the meetings dwindled. Fewer strangers heard about the master and his goodness and the servants began to get used to walking around in leaky shoes. There were some servants who faithfully continued at their task, having, often having to pretend they possessed others' talents. Many, however, having time on their hands, put their talents to other uses. Instead of welcoming strangers into their homes, they gave elaborate parties for friends. Instead of visiting the sick, they went on vacations to faraway places. Rather than singing about the master, they collected recordings of others who did it for them. The servant, whose talent was organization, kept right on exercising his talent, making lists of potential workers for the speakers of the master's words to conjole. But the weeds grew longer, and the orchard harvest grew smaller every year. By the time the master returned from his journey, only a few servants were still at their posts. The speakers of the master's words were exhausted from overwork, and the harvest filled only half as many bushel baskets as before. What happened? The master cried to the assembled servants a mixture of anger and sadness in his voice. What happened to the talents I entrusted to you? We, we buried them, came the reply. You should have seen the look on the master's face. Let's pray. Our Father, we first must pray for forgiveness because of the story we just read.
to the scriptures we've just studied certainly tells us that many of us here are letting others do the work. I pray that you would use this message and use this series of Sunday night messages to strengthen and encourage the body so like a beehive of, of every individual worker bee or an ant, a group of ants, everyone doing their part would take place. I, I pray, Father, that this church would, 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 you would raise up people that are, that, and they would be motivated by your Holy Spirit and they would be diligent to fan the flames of the gifts that they have so that they could use them for your honor and glory and, they would be, and you would bless them with the joy of serving you. I ask, Father, that you would um, help bring about change through this message and make people excited about learning what spiritual gifts are all about and then help us to practice them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One thing you can do for sure as you leave here today, you know what it is? You can say, well, I'll come back tonight and start learning about my spiritual gifts. We're going to start a series on that. Second thing is I want to say is this. If you're here today and you don't know your sins are forgiven, I have really been talking to believers, but if you don't know your sins are forgiven, I would like to tell you there is a way you can know. And I'd like to talk to you about Christ or we'll get someone to talk to you today. Just come up and see me or, or see Steve that led singing or, or talk to an usher if you have to. But anyway, I'm excited. You know what I wish? I tell you, tell you a pastor's heart. I wish that people were so excited about finding out about spiritual gifts that, there was, there was, there, that you couldn't even get a seat here tonight. I wish that you came back excited about learning what's going to happen uh, uh, for you and, and, and to realize that you have been graced by Christ. Let's find out what they are and let's go about doing it. Okay? Good. Hope to see you tonight. You're dismissed. And that concludes today's expository word. Please join us again for more classic messages from Kimber Kaufman. Take care.